this evening I'd like to turn your thoughts to the passage earlier read from Hebrews chapter 9 and something mentioned in the 19th verse, Hebrews 9 and verse 19. Let me read the whole verse to you. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. Now the apostle is here recalling something that took place many years before at the foot of Mount Sinai. You'll read the original record of it in Exodus chapter 24. Moses had been admitted into the presence of God and he then wrote down the words that God had spoken to him, words which concerned the blessing of the people, the saving benefits of God in his grace, and all that God would be pleased to lavish upon them. And having written these things down, uh, he built an altar which represented God, of course, and 12 pillars, which represented the 12 tribes, the children of Israel. And upon the altar, there was offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And then Moses did a very significant thing. He, using the scarlet wool and the hyssop, he sprinkled the book which he'd just written with God's words in the book. And he also sprinkled the altar and the people. The significance of the sprinkling of the altar and the people is that these things were patterns and pictures of great truths to be more fully revealed in the New Testament concerning the salvation of Christ and the sprinkling of the altar showed that when in the fullness of time the fulfillment of these things would arrive and Christ himself would shed his blood upon the cross, uh, that blood was to be directed to God in the first place. It was shed to answer his justice and to satisfy his righteousness. But then he sprinkled the people also, and that proclaimed 
another important truth, that though the blood would be uh, Godward's in that it was shed to satisfy justice and righteousness and give vent to mercy and grace, it was sprinkled upon the people to show that they would have the benefit of these things. They would have the benefit of uh, the bloodshed, pardon for their sins, peace in their hearts, and prospect of life to come. But in all of this ceremony, the sprinkling of the book is particularly mentioned in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 19. He sprinkled the book, we read. And that was most important because even then, that book, which was, if I might call it so, the ancient Bible, it became a crimson book, a blood-sprinkled book. Now this evening, I want to speak fairly simply of three things. First of all, the book. And we'll base our remarks upon what is written here. He sprinkled the book. Secondly, the blood. Because he sprinkled the book with the blood of sacrifice. Saying at that very time, according to verse 20, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. And then, thirdly, I want to speak of the believer, because the blessing of the sprinkled book, the blessing of the bloodshed came to the people and that same blood was sprinkled upon them. So, let's follow this line of truth and see where it leads us tonight. First of all, the book. Now, the book, at this point of time, there at the foot of Sinai, contained God's revelation. God had communicated to Moses and had instructed Moses to write these things down in a book. And so this book was unique from the very beginning. It contained the communications of God from heaven. It contained divine revelations. And it was that book 
which was sprinkled with blood. Now it not only was a book containing revelation, but it was a book that proceeded from God. It wasn't a book of human speculation or human imagination, but it was a book which God himself had given by way of its content. It was God's own testimony to the ancient question, what is truth? The scripture itself answers that question, thy word is truth. And it is a book of revelation, a book which has proceeded from God and has the seal of God upon it that was sprinkled that day. Now if we say, well, you, you make the case that it's God's revelation, inscripturated, and it's what God has made known. He has given this book, and it proceeds from the God of truth. But what exactly does it contain? Well, if we'd asked the question there at the foot of Sinai, what does this book contain? A reasonable answer would have been, it contains everything that God would have you know and everything you need to know. To live a godly life on earth and to live a heavenly life here after. The book would be really a book as to how we can know God, how we can glorify God, and how we can enjoy him forever. Clearly these grand things, these great doctrines must not be lost and therefore Moses was instructed to write them in a book because these truths concerning the salvation of our souls and our eternal well-being are not truths which we only need to know but posterity needs to know this generation and the next needs to know and generations thereafter need to know. And therefore the book was produced in a form in which it could be preserved. And anybody reading that book would have read of the blessings of God which he'd promised to his people. <clears throat> 
You'll see that in the Hebrews chapter 9 passage, it's referred to as a, as a testament. And that is a reminder to us that it was indeed the ancient Bible, our Bible, even to this day, we refer to as the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this was a testament. What's a testament? It's what someone uh, decides, resolves to pass on to others, bequeath to others. And in this ancient Bible, there were all the blessings which God wanted to bestow upon his people. So the book, it is a testament, it's a, it's a, a solemn doctrine declaring what blessing is in God for us. Like any will or testament of men, there is no deception in it. It's an authorized and legal document. It declares what will undoubtedly be shown to be true. And it's what God wants us to know concerning his uh, abundance of grace, concerning his overflows of mercy. It's come out of the region of the heavenly world. So it, it's unique. It's not to be compared to the writings of men. It is the very word of God. It's a precious, precious volume. Moses must have realized that as he held it that day. And as that blood was sprinkled upon it, how precious is this book divine by inspiration given. And here in this book, we can read of God, we can read of man, but we can read of the love of God for sinful men and of what that love has done in order to provide salvation for him. The book, the scripture says, he sprinkled the book. Well, how thankful we should be that we hold in our hands such a book that we're more blessed than Moses and those there were at the foot of the mountain that day for we have a book that contains the whole word of God all that God would ever reveal and set down in all clarity in all truthfulness a much fuller book and therefore we're a much 
more privileged people. We have the whole word of God in our hands. Now friends, before we pass on from this point, let me just return to it for a moment. The book. He sprinkled the book. How gracious God is that he has seen to it that everything that is our benefit to know has been made known. That the man of God, Paul says, may be perfect or complete, truly furnished to live a life of godliness and a life of holiness. God could have and perhaps could easily have withdrawn and said, I'm not saying anything to these people because they have sinned and they have rebelled against me and they have denied me as their God. I'm not saying anything to them. That he could have done if he was only a God of justice and a God of judgment. But the scripture says of God that justice is his strange work or judgment is his strange work. He delighteth in mercy. And it's because of his mercy that we have a book which contains his truth of salvation. And it's a wonderful book from beginning to end. And it's passed on to us as in Exodus 24, Moses took the book and he communicated its content to the people. So he acted as a sort of mediator. He was a figure of Christ who would later come and through Christ we would receive the full Holy Scripture and all the word of God so that Paul can write in his letter to Timothy of all scripture given by inspiration of God it's profitable so heaven has seen to it that we've got a book a book that tells us what we need to know, a book that enables us to cope with life, to face death, to appear in judgment and to enter into glory. All that is in God's book and much more too. And the book tells of what 
God has provided his provisions. And what an abundance of benefit there is contained in the word of God. Paul can write to the Ephesians, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. How numerous are the blessings of God. How wonderfully satisfying the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. And here it is in a book that is likened to a testament. Here it is that God himself makes known what he's prepared to leave to us, to grant freely to us the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of acceptance, the blessing of a good and established place in the affections of God the blessing of every supply we could ever need of him and the blessing of all resources to take us from this world to the next. It's all in this will and testament. The book, and it's a book of sovereign grace, is it not? Because we haven't got any claim upon these things. We can't say, oh, well, it's no more than I thought would come my way because I've lived so well and I think I can say that I've earned whatever God is pleased to give. That can never be the case because in many points we have offended all and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, then how comes it that this book is so full of promise and this book uh, details all the good things he's prepared to give us? The answer is grace. Grace is what is not deserved. That God deals with us not according to our demerit, but according to the Saviour's merit. And so it's of grace. By grace are ye saved through faith. That appears evident throughout the book. The book, it was long time its content was kept in the heart of God Paul speaks of it as the mystery which was in God from all eternity what God deigned to grant to his people it was conceived first in the heart of God 
It was, it was cherished and thought upon in the heart of God. It had pride of place in the heart of God. But now the secret is made known. It's an open secret. God has made manifest these things and he's written it down in a book. That book is the word of the ever-blessed God. It stands to reason that it's a wonderful book. Paul can write in one of his letters to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. That's the nature of what is in this book. It reveals the glories that God is prepared to grant to his people. The glories of the blessed God. Such glories that God can bless us with for time and for eternity. But are we sure of them? Well, all things have been committed into the hands of God's Son. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hands. And insofar as that is true, Christ Jesus is the testator. And if what is written in this testament is to be made good, the death of the testator must take place. Now this was prefigured in emblem there at the foot of Mount Sinai because there were burnt offerings and sin offerings involving the shedding of blood there at the foot of the mountain. And God was saying, so it is required that blood must be shed at last and the blood of my son. And when he, the testator, gives up his life in death, then the gospel will be proclaimed and all its blessing will be revealed and you will see what God has laid up in the person of his son. And every word of it will be shown to be faithful and every word of it will shown to be true. What are these blessings? Well, the Lord himself. The Lord has given himself to be our God. A righteousness which is perfect and entire so that a garment is provided for us to cover our shame and our nakedness and all our defilement and the obedience of Christ 
with which the Father was so well pleased is credited to us, imputed to us. And so we are saved. There's the blessing of the love of Christ, of whom it is written that having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. There's the blessing of Christ's consolations. If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, all that the Saviour gives us to sustain us and to strengthen us, there is the blessing of the Comforter himself, the Holy Spirit, there is victory over death and the grave and the promise of glory to come and of beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now that is why the soul of C.H. Spurgeon was so stirred when these higher critics tried to relegate the Bible to a place of obscurity and to withhold it from the people saying it's, it's full of deceits and it's full of lies. Spurgeon's soul was stirred because how dare they remove from this world the greatest thing that has ever been given to it. How dare they take hope from the grasp of the sinner when God has put it in his grasp how dare they deny what God has been pleased to grant and to confirm in such a wonderful way that it's his gift book in the hands of Moses was inexpressibly wonderful. It, 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 it was divine. It was heavenly. It was the greatest treasure a man can ever possess. And only a wicked infidel would try to remove that book from this world. And that's what these men were. They were wicked infidels. And Spurgeon and the little group of men around him rose up to say, we'll not allow them to steal this book. We'll not allow them to deny this book to the rising generation. We will not allow them to cast their ungodly, their unbelieving aspersions upon this book, which is the most valuable thing we possess. Royal wisdom. The word of God. Well, let me turn secondly 
to speak of the blood. For it's plainly said there that he took the blood and sprinkled the book. So the book that day became a blood-sprinkled book. And our Bible is no less. It's a blood-sprinkled book. What does that tell us about the Bible? I think in that the blood of Christ, typified by the blood of calves and of goats in Exodus 24, was sprinkled, as it were, upon this book. It means that it's no ordinary book. It has upon it the mark of blood. The whole is called the Holy Scriptures. That God did this, he sprinkled the book, means that that book is different from every other book. It is holy. I think secondly, the fact that the book was sprinkled with blood guarantees the absolute truthfulness and veracity of this book. Because the blood was like a divine endorsement of the book. In the olden days when a will or testament was drawn up, it was usual for the notary or the solicitor to write it all out and then wax would be burnt and a seal would be made at the end of the document and that was the solemn authorization of all that was above that seal. When the book was sprinkled with blood it was the divine assurance to men and women of every age that God certifies this is true. Every word of it is true. It's the true inviolable word of God's grace and of God's mercy. And that means the book being sprinkled with blood that the whole document has authority. It lends force to it. If I can put it like this, the sacrifices made at the foot of Sinai when 
the blood of these sacrifices was sprinkled upon the testament or the covenant. That was the divine assurance that it was valid, that it was in force. Blood had been shed, death had taken place, the covenant was thereby authorized, became authentic, was valid. And so the book was sprinkled. And in a sense, our book is sprinkled with the blood of Christ in that Christ the testator is saying that it's all now open to our receipt. It's all now available to us. Death, the death of the testator has taken place. When you look at the Bible we have, it is blood sprinkled in the sense that everywhere you turn in this book, you'll read of Christ and of the blood he shed. It's everywhere. It's as if God has sprinkled the scriptures with the blood of his son. So that if we turn to Genesis, you'll read of the Savior there who was bruised in order to set us free. If you read in the prophecies of the Old Testament, you'll read of the Savior to come who is to be led as a lamb to the slaughter. You read in one of the latest of the prophets that the blood mentioned in scripture is the blood of his covenant so that it holds legal force and everything in this book points to Christ and to his death. Why? Because the truth that God would impress upon us is the truth that though we have sinned, there is atonement for sin. There is a covering for sin. There is remission of sins. And it's all because of what this book reveals, that Christ died for our sins according to to the scriptures. So Calvary is the great theme of the whole Bible. It's as if the whole book has been sprinkled with the blood of God's Son. If that were not so, it would be it would be hard to read anything that God 
has revealed. If it wasn't so full of Calvary's love, if it wasn't so full of free remission of sins, if it wasn't so full of overtures of mercy on account of the sacrifice of Christ, all we would hear is the thunder of Sinai. All we would see is the lightning and the fire from that holy mount. All we would be confronted with is the wrath and the vengeance of Almighty God. But it's a blood-sprinkled book. And therefore, as we read it time and time again, God is saying, but there is forgiveness through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He sprinkled the book. And because of the Savior's sacrifice, there can be no doubt of the kindness and compassion of God. Christ has died and there is remission. That's the great truth which comes across as we read this book. And the more we read, the more we are impressed with this and the more God seems to entreat us to rely upon this to believe this in our hearts and to put our confidence here where God puts his emphasis. He sprinkled the book. It's an awful thing to turn away from scripture when scripture is the crimson book. It's an awful thing to reject the counsel of God, when that counsel has come to us, sprinkled with blood. It's the most solemn thing to reject it. But it's wisdom's way to accept it and to confide in it and to put our trust where God puts his emphasis, the blood of his son, and to plead for blessing through Jesus Christ and through the blood he shed. The book, the blood, he sprinkled the book On all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Now, why in Exodus 24 did God sprinkle the people? I think it was to show that. They needed to feel 
the benefit of the blood. And when the blood was sprinkled upon them, and they felt it, and sensed it, it was as if God was saying, the blessing purchased by blood must come into your conscious awareness. You must know it. The blood has been shed to cleanse you from sin. You must yourselves experience the efficacy of that cleansing. The blood has been shed that you might have peace, but you need to feel peace. Peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood has been copiously shed that you might feel safe and you need to feel safe. So he sprinkled it upon the people. The blood is shed so that there will be no judgment, no condemnation, and you need to feel yourselves released from that judgment and from that condemnation. The book is sprinkled because the book is all about this great salvation. But you are sprinkled because you must feel the virtue of this blood yourselves and know that it has come to you with saving power and know that the blood avails for you. That's why I've called this third point the believer. Moses stands there, the mediator. He writes the book. Even as our mediator has given to us the full truth of God's word. He sprinkles the book. Because what has been communicated to us is all about Christ, his love, his salvation, his saving benefit. The book sprinkled, but the people are sprinkled because what is in the book, the promise of the book, the experience of the book must come to God's people. And it does come to believers. And they feel the efficacy of the blood when they believe. Humbled for their sin, they cast themselves at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. They put all of their confidence in what Christ has done. And in that moment, the sense comes to them. That all their sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake. And their persons are accepted for Jesus' sake. And their blessing is assured for Jesus' sake. And their death will be unstinged, unstung for Jesus' sake. 
heaven will be open to them for Jesus' sake. Oh, to feel that. It's no wonder that Peter speaks in his epistle of the heart sprinkled with the blood of Christ. That's what we need. Every believer needs it. A heart to feel the blood shed for us. It's wonderful that we and I do hope you value it. It's the very truth of God. Take it out and read it every day. Meditate upon it. It's the greatest thing that's ever been written. Thank God it's a blood-sprinkled book. It's all about a saviour. It's all about redemption. And the believer is sprinkled with the very blood that sprinkles the book in that he knows the truth of it in his own heart. He knows what it is to be forgiven, to be received, to be blessed through the blood of Christ. He's put his trust there and God has put his seal there. And what he's trusted has become effectual to the believer's salvation. It's a wonderful book. One preacher called it the Crimson Book. May God so bless it to us that we shall find out every day until our last day what a priceless gift is given to us in the book of God, sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Which blood is made effectual to us the moment we believe. Well, may it be so, and may you love this book, always and forever. We'll sing now from Psalm 119. Thirteenth part, beginning at verse 97. That portion, O how love I thy law. It is my study all the day. The thirteenth part of Psalm 119.
the book that it is a blood-sprinkled book and it is the means whereby it is applied to us in conversion and we are sprinkled, we are forgiven through the virtue of the blood. All thy people are forgiven through the virtue of thy blood. Opened is the gate of heaven. Man is reconciled to God. Receive our thanks and bless these truths to our hearts. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen.